Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, it's Halloween weekend, which means that it is uh, one of the weirdest times to be a priest wearing clerics out in the world. The weirdest stories, and are those, is that a really, that's a really good costume you got there. Uh, okay, it's not a costume. And I'm flying tomorrow, so uh, stay tuned for some weird stories on how that goes next week. So, yeah, anyway. All right, so I want to start with this. So a few weeks back, a little while ago, I visited one of our Catholic uh, high schools, uh, St. Joe's Academy, all-girls school, really awesome school. Anyway, I was visiting with one of the 11th grade uh, theology classrooms, one of my friends teaches there, and she just wanted to bring a priest in just to do some, like, Q&A with the girls and, like, you know, just get some exposure to a priest, and we were talking all sorts of things, and they always want to know, like, if I use shampoo, which I'm like, <laughs> just is one of the dumbest questions, but there are, you know, you know they say there are no dumb questions, there are some dumb questions, right? Like, no, anyway. That always comes up. Uh, but anyway, so it was lighthearted, good, fun stuff. And then one of the girls, she asked the question, Were there, did you ever have any like obstacles or uh, like any hesitancy about you know, becoming a priest when you're going through seminary? And like, as she was asking the question, I, I knew that she, she had no idea how deep, honestly, that question went. She had no idea how deep in me that question went. And, um, and, and I just I paused for a second to think about how I wanted to respond and I just heard the Holy Spirit say, give her like the real answer. And I, I just began to share how like in different seasons in my seminary days, um, you know, like the Lord didn't call me to, to the priesthood. He doesn't call anybody the priesthood because we didn't have a desire for marriage or family or children. Um, it's not as though God calls the guys who just, like, would be terrible husbands. It's like, we'll just make them priests. Um, at least I hope that's not the case. Um, but, yeah, I said, yeah, when one of my best friends got married. And seeing, uh, being a groomsman at his wedding and seeing the way that she looked at him when they were dancing, um, she leveled him with her eyes. And just, just coming to grips with not just simply that I wouldn't have that, but it, it was the question of, Lord, how, how do you intend to fulfill that desire? Because that desire is not going anywhere, to be a spouse, to be a dad. And like, just sitting with this gaping, open longing in this desire. And, uh, Lord, I, I know you're not, like, a masochist. I know you don't want me just simply to suffer and white-knuckle it through. Like, how in the world are you going to fulfill that, though? And, and I, shared, I shared a little bit more than that, obviously, but um, they, they were, like, just stunned in silence. They were not expecting or prepared for that answer. Again, I think they were thinking something, like, lighthearted and, like, yeah, I didn't want to have to wear black every day. Or, I don't know. Like, but it was something very real. Like, they, they didn't know how deep in my heart it went. And I shared, right? It wasn't superficial, like, when, when I, I thought of that story because, like, when Jesus is asked by this scholar, this good scribe, they're not all bad in the Gospels, when he's asked by this good scribe, this scholar, which is the greatest commandment, 
the answer that he's given, it, it springs forth from such a deep place in Jesus's heart. Like it flows from the depths of his heart. And, and just like for him, like, like nobody had a response. Like they were just stunned into silence because it came from such a deep place. I sat with that dialogue with Jesus and the scholar of the law, and I just was really begging the Lord to show me like the looks on their faces, because Jesus is smiling the whole time as he's sharing this, because he just sees that this guy gets it, like his heart is deep, he's not looking for superficial things, he gets it. And like I had a follow-up question in prayer that I wanted to bring to the Lord, like everyone else was like quiet, and I like in my imagination I'm like, excuse me, (laughs) can you call on me? (laughs) I've got a question. How do you do that? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Like how, how? Like how do you actually do that? That sounds quite a bit beyond me, right? Maybe not the loving my neighbor part as myself. Like, because I know what neighbors are. I've got neighbors. I have a sense of what it means to love my neighbor as myself. I have a sense of how I want to be loved, how I want to be seen, how I want to be honored, how I want to be you know, loved in my particularity. I don't want to be just treated in generalities. I want to be given the benefit of the doubt and treated mercifully and with, yeah, with gentleness and kindness and all, the things, all those things. And I, I, I understand how I'm supposed to love my neighbor like that. Granted, that's a lot harder actually in real life than it is just to say it at an ambo. Uh, okay, so like I, I can conceptualize that, but like what does it mean to love God? Like the God, like the invisible, the immortal, the eternal, like the God of the Big Bang, the one who created every atom and photon and, and particle of being, the God who split the Red Sea, who hung the stars, the God of the flaming bush in the book of Exodus, the one who tells the ocean, this is how far you can go but no farther, this is the limit to the sea and sky. Like the God who became flesh and bled and died on a cross for me. Like how, do you, how does one love that being? How do you love that? What does it mean to love God? Because here's the thing. I think many people today have just simply sidestepped the question by conflating the two commandments. Saying that, that we love God by loving our neighbors. right? And, and it's true that in other places of the gospel, Matthew 25, Jesus says... Right, whatever you did for the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me, right? We are judged on judgment day by what we did to the least of our brothers and sisters. We are saved by grace, but we're judged by our works. That's absolutely true. He's personally present in the poor, in the weak, in the marginalized. That's where he is. But are we loving and serving Christ exclusively? when we love and serve our neighbor, right? Like, in other words, like, if that was the only way to love God, then Jesus would have simply said, like, that was the greatest commandment. You love God by loving your neighbors, but he doesn't say that. He makes this distinction between you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. He makes this distinction, so there's got to be a difference between these two. He makes a difference. Like, the first and fundamental move of the Christian life is to attach our hearts, is for our hearts to be affixed, nourished by, filled by, animated by the love that first and foremost comes from the Lord. Right? You look at the structure of a cross, right? Like the vertical beam has to be put in place first before you hang the horizontal beam on it. The love of God, the love that comes from God and to God, like that has to be the priority before I can have any kind of real love of my neighbor. 
then and only then am I actually able to properly love my neighbor, right? Because Jesus knows something about us, that if, like, that if God isn't the, like, that first priority, that first love in my heart, that instead of loving my neighbor as myself, what I will inevitably do is I will use my neighbor for myself. We do it every day, and we do it all the time. We do it every day, and we do it all the time. We will like, expect other people around us to do for our hearts what only God can properly do. We will take our hearts, which have this longing for the love that only comes from God, and we will take them to other people, much to their detriment. And this is so especially true in marriage. Those of you who are married, like, tune in right here. Like, your spouse was never meant to be the one who would love you infinitely and perfectly. Your love was never, your spouse was never meant to perfectly satisfy your heart. That is a job way beyond them, and you probably already know this. Up here, but maybe not here. Like Fulton Sheen, he was the one who wrote the book, Three to Get Married. It's, an, it's a classic. If you haven't read it, you should pick it up. It's great. He says that it takes three to get married. You got the couple, and you've got the Lord. It takes three to get married, and it especially takes three to stay married. Because if you keep taking your heart's hunger for love, you take that hunger for infinite love to your finite spouse, you're going to crush them. But you have to take that hunger for infinite love to the infinite one who will infinitely satisfy. That's how this works. Okay, but back to the question, though. How, how do you love God, right? Because the human love languages, right, they break down when it comes to a divine being, right? How do you give God, like, words of affirmation? Like, God, you used such a great sunset last night. Just want to affirm you for gravity and for taste buds. I don't know. Like, words of service, words of, words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, like... None of, those are, none of those human ways of expressing love work when it comes to the Lord. Like when Jesus speaks of loving God with our whole hearts, all, all our mind, all our strength, all of that, it's a, it's a Hebraic way of saying, it's a Hebraicism for saying everything. Everything. It, it's it's the, the words that are used there are, are conveying you, you got to love God with your entire being. In other words, nothing is withheld. To love another person is to give them total access to me. In vulnerability, right? To allow for communion, you have to let another person in. Like, that's what, that's what the expression, that's what he's getting at. To let him in. Like, does God have access? Do you allow him access to your interiority, to your interior life, to, to your world? That, like, the, the whatever, the 160 whatever hours of the week that are outside of this church, does he have access to you? Like, have you, this is going to sound weird, but have you ever talked to Jesus about your favorite food? Like, does Jesus know your favorite place to order pizza? Does Jesus know your favorite salad dressing? Does Jesus, Jesus know, like, <laughs> that you prefer blue cheese over ranch? Because I do, right? And he knows that because blue cheese is disgusting, uh, okay? 
Does he know those things? Does he know the last movie you saw? Does he know the TV shows that you're watching? Does he know about the dream that you had last night? Have you ever told him about how much you love the smell of fall or how much you hate the ending of daylight savings time? Or do you only talk to him about churchy things? You know, like God things, religious things, Bible things. Have you relegated him to, like, that's our lane, and that's what we're going to talk about? Like, those of you who, who do holy hours here in the Divine Mercy Chapel, like, maybe you've been really struggling with doing a holy hour. Maybe that's the reason why you haven't been signing up to do a holy hour, because you're like, I don't know what I'm gonna, I would do for an hour in there. What do I talk about? Have you talked about how you don't know what to talk about with him? Here's the point I'm getting at. Like, one of the things the enemy has convinced us of as Christians is that good prayer, it lacks distractions. That's what the enemy's convinced us of. Or, or that someone who's really advanced in prayer is able to cut through the distractions like an icebreaker. I would bet, I'd be willing to bet, that 99% of the time, the things that are showing up as quote-unquote distractions are not actually distractions. They're just other subjects, other topics that Jesus wants to talk to you about. Like all of a sudden you're sitting there, you're praying, you're trying to do your rosary, and all of a sudden like the thought of like the souffle that you need to cook comes like, boop, 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 like in your mind. And you're like, ah, stupid, souffle, I'm praying. And Jesus is like, let's talk about the souffle. Let's just let's talk to, tell me about it. What, is it? Banana, pumpkin, chocolate, like, what are you making? Like, you're sitting there, you're, you're praying your rosary. Hail Mary, full of grace. All of a sudden, like, the, the, the lawnmower, the person who's cutting the grass comes around, you know, outside. And you're thinking, God, I hate when people do that. It's so annoying. Lawnmowers and the smell of grass. And then, you know, like, five minutes later, you're, you're still on the, like, you're, you're, like, somewhere in, like, like, the Bahamas in your imagination. You left the rosary back there. And, uh, and you're like, ah, oh, jeez, I'm supposed to be praying. And you're like, get mad at yourself. And Jesus the whole time is like, I was with you. I was tracking with you. Let's just talk about those things. Let's talk about those things. Friends, this is like, this is, this is the thing that like changes your prayer life. There are no such thing as distractions. There's only new subjects and topics for prayer. If everything becomes a th another thing that you can talk to Jesus about, there's no such thing as distractions. Like a maturing prayer life is one that's more than just petitionary, more than just asking for things. Don't get me wrong, that's great and wonderful, that's childlike, that's what Jesus wants for us. But like a maturing prayer life is, is, is friendship. It's, it's shooting the breeze. It's talking about superficial things and meaningful things and deep things and the souffle that you gotta make and the kind of pizza you had and, and all of it, it's everything. Jesus says to us, he says, I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I call you friends. Why? Because I have shared everything with you that I've heard from my father's heart. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've told you everything and I'm telling you everything. I've, I've filled you in on the big things, the little things like my heart is open to you. There's no, there's no little subject that I have relegated our relationship to. Like God wants to share life with us. He wants us to have access to our life. Like the thing that we got to just realize this weekend, and thanks be to God for Jesus in this gospel, is that like the greatest commandment that Jesus gives is not to feed the poor. 
It's not to pray rosaries and novenas. The greatest commandment isn't even worship. I know that sounds crazy. But the greatest commandment, he's saying, is to allow God to have access to you, to be in communion with you, to be in relationship, for you to trust him, for you to share your heart with him. That's the greatest commandment. We get that right, we'll get everything else right. Amen.